It's not uncommon for us when we speak in terms of our faith, when we speak in terms of our own salvation. It's not uncommon for us to speak in terms of when and where we first found Jesus, where we were when we first found faith. And someone might say, well, I found Jesus when I was a child. Or someone else might say, I found Jesus when I was going through a, a very rough time. Or someone else may say, well, I was looking for answers. I was looking for answers to all the big questions of life, and I found Jesus to be my answer. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is a perfectly legitimate way for us to talk about our faith. But I wonder what happens when we allow ourselves to look at our faith journey from Jesus's point of view. Where were you when Jesus found you? I think of some of the stories that I've been told, some people that I've known. I think about Mike. Think about Mike, who was a biker, and his life was involved with, with, the, with partying and alcohol and drugs. His life was consumed with that, and Jesus found Mike. I think about Janet, who had suffered the traumatic loss of a child, and she was consumed by overwhelming grief, and a church stepped in, and they ministered grace and care and comfort to her, and Jesus found Janet. I think about someone like Nabil Qureshi, a name that you might be familiar with. Nabil was brought up in a Muslim family, in a Muslim world, and he had one Christian friend who simply talked to him and shared with him. And when Nabil started having questions, he used that one friend. And in his search for answers, yeah, Jesus found Nabil. Or I think of any one of us in that moment when we've realized just how powerless we are, when we realize the depths of our own sin, when we have been confronted with that need that we cannot fulfill within ourselves, Jesus found us. And that one encounter changed everything. That's the kind of story that Luke tells us as we enter Luke chapter 19 today. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Now, if, if you know anything about Zacchaeus, you probably know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? You, you know the song. I think about that song, and I think about how I can't wait until I get to heaven, and I think about being in heaven and maybe bumping into Zacchaeus and introducing myself, and, and he introduces himself, and he says, I, I, my name is Zacchaeus. And I say, oh, well, we had a song about you when I was a kid. And he says, really, what's the song about? He says, it is the song about how my whole family was saved, my whole household was saved. Like, well, not really. It is the song about how I gave half of all of my possessions to the poor and, and, and helped other people? Well, not really. Well, is the song about how Jesus came and had dinner at my house? Well, a little bit of it is about that. And Zacchaeus will say, well, what was the song about? Uh, it's about how you're short. <laughs> it's about how you're a, a wee little man. Oh, you know, there, there's so much more to the story of Zacchaeus than what we teach our kids. Very often it concerns me that sometimes we take a story like that and we grow up and we don't let the story grow up with us. We leave it behind in our childhood. There's a lot for you and I to learn in the story of Zacchaeus. So let's hear the story beyond what we teach the kids. Let's hear the heart of this man 
this man that Jesus found begins in Luke chapter 19, it's verses 1 through 10. He, that is Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, that is the, the crowd, the community, saw it, they all grumbled. Well, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I want you to put your attention, call your attention to that very last verse, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is Luke's entire point for his gospel. That is everything that Luke has been building up to. That is everything that he has wanted to show us. It's exactly who Jesus is. It is exactly what Jesus does. He seeks those who are lost. He is actively searching them out. He's actively searching for, for them. He's, he's actively searching for you with the purpose of saving them, with the purpose of saving us. This is his mission. And what we have in the story of Zacchaeus is not just a wee little man who climbed a tree. We have a snapshot of Jesus. And now he will not allow anything to get in the way of his encounter with you. This is what Jesus does. He seeks and he saves the lost. And so the question that you have to ask yourself is, what do I need to get past so that I can see Jesus? What do I need to get past so that I can see Jesus? There's a lot of things we're told about Zacchaeus in just the first few verses of this story. We're told he lives in Jericho, so we kind of know his address. We're told he's a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. That means he is over other tax collectors. He may have even been Matthew's boss, for that matter. And we're told something that would be obvious because of his profession. He is rich. Hmm. I want you to think about that for a moment. Zacchaeus is rich. What, what happened the last time Jesus encountered a rich man in Luke's gospel? Well, it was just a chapter back, just a little, it's on the same page, in fact, in my Bible. Jesus encounters a rich ruler who asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told that man uh, to, to sell all he had and give to the poor, and then you will have treasures in heaven, and then come and follow me. Do you remember how that story ended? just right there on the same page for me, verses 23 through 25 of Luke chapter 18. But when he, when the rich man heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus 
seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And in the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus is about to show us that difficult does not mean impossible where God is. He's about to give all of us hope no matter where we find ourselves. And so we learn, yes, we learn where Zacchaeus lives, we learn what he does, we learn what he has, <laughs> but what do we concentrate on? He was a wee little man. <laughs> yes, we concentrate on him being short. Jesus is passing through Jericho. The crowd is pressing in. They can't see Jesus. And so Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus can't see Jesus. And so somehow Zacchaeus gets past the crowd. He gets through the crowd or he has to get over the crowd. Verse 4 tells us that he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he, Jesus, was about to pass that way. And again, you and I always focus on the tree climbing. I want you to notice what else he does. Zacchaeus runs. He runs as fast as his little legs will carry him, and he gets ahead of the crowd so that he can see Jesus. There's a little point I want to make here, and it's something that we saw actually in Luke chapter 15, just four chapters back. It's there in Luke 15 that we have the story of the prodigal son. You're probably very familiar with the story of the prodigal son. And in that story, as the son is coming back home, as he is returning to his father's house, in Luke 15, verse 20, it says that the son arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And one of the points we saw, and one of the points I made in that story is that running, running, is not something that dignified Jewish men did. Running is very undignified, and to run to someone, to, to see them as that important, to run to them, that, that especially is undignified. And you have to understand, culturally, I mean, you're wearing a, basically a robe, and in order to run, you have to, you have to hike the road, robe up. <laughs> they called it girding their loins. You had to show your bony old man knees as you as you ran and show your legs it was very undignified but in the prodigal son story the father lays aside his dignity to run and meet his son and here Zacchaeus this tax collector this man who has position and power in the community this very wealthy man he lays aside his dignity and he runs. He was willing to let go of his dignity just to get a glimpse of Jesus. It might lead us to ask ourselves, is there anything we need to let go of? Is there anything we've been holding on to that's keeping us from seeing Jesus? Is there something in your life that maybe you need to get past it? Maybe you need to get through it. Maybe you need to get over it to encounter Jesus. And I think so often it's our pride, isn't it? So often our pride holds us back. Our, our pride blinds us. Our pride that says, you know, if I, if I let people see what I'm really like, 
if I let them see who I really am, if I let them see how I have failed, if I let them see the mess that I have made of everything, they're going to see me for who I am. And that can block us from our view of Jesus. Are you going to keep letting that block your view? Is, is that really something worth fighting for? Is that really something worth holding on to? Or maybe the question is, do you realize who's waiting for you on the other side of your pride? Do you realize who is waiting for you and what he promises? Now, I know, I know that can be scary. And I know it can make you feel so vulnerable. But Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And just like what we see here in the Zacchaeus story, Jesus will not allow anything to keep him from you. Jesus wouldn't want me. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say that to me. Jesus wouldn't want me. I've, I've messed up too much. I am too far gone. I am beyond help. I can't be saved. There's people in our community who really believe that. There's people in our community who, who think that's true. I mean, they think their sin is so bad or that their sin is so special or that they've come up with some incredible new way to sin that God never thought of. God hasn't come up with a way to wash my sin away yet. I love that the Apostle Paul takes, in his humility, he takes all of that off of us. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 Paul says Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And so Jesus spots Zacchaeus up in that tree. And he says Zacchaeus, you come down, more or less, for I'm going to your house today. Actually we read there in in verses 6 and 7 he hurried down, and he came and received him joyfully. And when they, when the crowd all saw it, they grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I love verse 6. Verse 6, Zacchaeus receives Jesus with joy. The party's already started. And then, bam, verse 7, the party comes to an end. What happens? The crowd is grumbling. Why is he going to Zacchaeus' house? Because they all know Zacchaeus. They all know what he's like. He is a sinner. And Jesus, you're wasting your time with this man. There's people that we encounter that they say, why would, why would Jesus waste their time with me? The key here, though, is not the opinion of the crowd. And it's, the key isn't even the joy that Zacchaeus is exhibiting. The key is in verse Five. It's there in verse 5 where Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I must stay. That is what we call an imperative. It has to happen. It must happen. And when Jesus gives us an imperative, it's a divine imperative. It is a divine appointment. Since the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and since Zacchaeus is lost, since Zacchaeus is a sinner, there is no other place that Jesus must go than to Zacchaeus' house. And Jesus 
will not allow anything to keep him from going there. And Jesus will not allow anything to keep him from going to you. Jesus still has divine appointments. There's still a divine imperative. Jesus still seeks the lost. And yet some, some of you think he doesn't want me. Some of you think I'm too far gone. I am too damaged. I hear you say that. And what I hate about that is I have to wonder, who told you that? Who told you you were too damaged? Who told you you were too bad and that God didn't want you? And, and, and very often, that might be something that you've told yourself. But I have to wonder if someone else told you that. I have to wonder if you allowed someone else to assign your worth before God, to say God doesn't want someone like you. Whatever Zacchaeus had done, whatever other people thought of him, none of that would hold Jesus back. He had a divine imperative. I must go to your house. Jesus has a divine imperative for you as well. And what this story shows you about Jesus's divine imperative for you is that that one encounter, that one encounter with Jesus can change everything. Zacchaeus, yes, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Yes, we know that. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. We know that. The crowd says that he was a sinner. We know that. But what does Jesus say about Zacchaeus? Verses 9 and 10, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We hear those words, he is a son of Abraham. And we think, we think of the Jews, obviously, because the Jews are descendants of Abraham. They're Abraham's children. But let's go back to the beginning of Luke's gospel. It's there in the beginning of Luke's gospel we find John the Baptist out in the wilderness baptizing and preaching repentance and preaching about the coming of the Messiah, preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And it's there in the wilderness as John is preparing the way. In Luke chapter 3, verse 8, John speaks to the crowd. He gets very, very forceful with the crowd. And he says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, Well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And what John shows us there is that being a child of Abraham, being a son of Abraham, that is not about family rights. It's not about bloodline. It's, it's not about the right upbringing. Being a child of Abraham is something that Jesus does to you. And if he can take a rock, <laughs> if he can take a stone and make it into a child of Abraham, if he can take someone like Zacchaeus and turn him into a son of Abraham, what can he do for you? And what can he do for me? John said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, prove, in other words, prove that there's been a change. Don't let repentance just be something you say that you've done. Let me see the fruit. Let me see the work 
that you have actually put into repenting. And then in Zacchaeus, in chapter 19 here, verse 8, Zacchaeus says, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Whereas before Zacchaeus was known as a sinner, he's now known for his generosity. Whereas before Zacchaeus was known for keeping the stuff for himself, he is now known for grace. More than that, he is known for his joy. And in his commitment, we realize it's, it's not just that Zacchaeus is different. His whole community is going to be different. The poor in his community are going to be cared for. Those who have been hurt, in fact, those who have been hurt by Zacchaeus himself, they are going to be blessed. They are going to be helped. That one encounter with Jesus changed everything. And understand this, though. Zacchaeus wasn't saved because he cared for the poor. That's, that's not how it works. Your good deeds don't get you saved. Rather, the way he cared for the poor, the way he cared for the oppressed, that was the fruit of his repentance. That was the proof that there had been a change, that somewhere deep inside him, he was not the same. It's not just a change that people hear about. It's not just something that they see. It's the way, they, the way that change impacts them. It's the way that change changes their lives. One encounter with Jesus can change everything. And Luke has used this story of this short tax collector to drive home the point of his entire gospel. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And if he can use Zacchaeus' story, he can use your story. He can use my story. But first, you and I have to stop hiding from our story. If there is something in your life that is blocking your view of Jesus, you've got to find a way past that. You've got to find a way through that, a way over that. Find a way to let Jesus find you. Lay your pride aside. Lay your dignity aside. He has a divine appointment with you. And the promise is that one appointment from there, everything can change. It doesn't matter if he finds you up a tree. It doesn't matter if he finds you in a biker bar. It doesn't matter if he finds you in a hospital. It doesn't matter if he finds you on the best day of your life or that day when everything falls apart. Jesus has a must for you. I must stay at your house today. I must encounter you. I must engage you. And from that must, everything can change. There's something else I always wonder about with the story of Zacchaeus. I always wonder who planted that tree. It's a silly thought, but think about it for a moment. Decades earlier, probably, decades earlier, somebody planted a tree there. And they had no idea that one day that tree, <laughs> one day that tree would allow a short man to encounter the Messiah, the Creator, the, the Savior. They didn't realize that one day <laughs> you and I would still be talking about that tree. Centuries, millennia later, we would still be talking about that tree. I bet you've planted some trees. 
I bet you've planted a few trees here and there that have allowed somebody to see Jesus through your kindness, through your love, through your generosity, through the way that you just let Jesus shine through some of your planting trees. This week, someone in your life needs a tree. Maybe this week, just something that you say, maybe a card you send, maybe a phone call. It's really hard to meet face to face right now. Maybe a phone call is all it takes to plant a tree for them to see Jesus a little more clearly, for them to find that must that's going to lead them to him. I hope, I hope you take a moment this week and plant that tree. This reminds us of another tree, doesn't it? Reminds us of the cross. Uh, the, the Old Testament says that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed by God. And Jesus took that curse on himself so that you and I might know him. It was something that he had to do. There was a must for that tree as well. And as we take this together, we remember what Jesus has done. And remember the body broken, the blood shed. And we remember our commitment. that We look to him and to that divine appointment that we had with him at one point in our lives that changed everything and how it continues to change everything. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, I thank you for my friends. Thank you for those trees that they've planted that have allowed other people to see your son more clearly. And we look ahead, Lord, to those opportunities we have to nudge others into that divine encounter, to bring them a little closer. And Lord, as we take today, as we remember the body broken and the blood shed, as we take the bread, as we take the cup, we ask your blessing. Lord, not only a blessing that points us back to that moment when we realized what you had done for us, but that that blessing that points us ahead to who you've called us to be. Lord, the way, that, the way that our faith is going to be seen in our communities and in the lives of those that we love. Lord, bless this time as we come to you through these emblems, as we come to you together through this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. God bless. Go in peace.